This morning, as you can see, um, I've got the title, The Lord Sends Bread from Heaven. So all the jokes about bread of heaven, please happen now. <laughs> Go on, Chris. <laughs> Any? You did it earlier, didn't you? Okay. Um, and the theme that we'll be looking at is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Uh, we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 16 and a little bit at um, Numbers 11, 4 to 9. So if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 16. Sorry? No, it's not coming up, sorry. It's the whole chapter that I'll be doing, that's why I didn't put it up. Um, otherwise it would have been flicking and probably would have ended up with a repetitive strain injury or something like that. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And all the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I don't know why he went high pitched then, but he did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well. (laughs) Uh, Behold, there we go. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread for the full, because the Lord assured your grumbling that you are against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he assured your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. (coughs) When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. He shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Sounds tasty. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, 
each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Funny that. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. They'll have a land filled with milk and honey soon. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I feed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. <coughs> I know that was long, but I just wanted to do that because I'll be referring back and forth. So please keep your finger there. Um, this morning, just want to show you what we'll be doing. What's happening this morning? We're going to be having a look to see what this means in terms of uh, the term Jehovah Jireh. Uh, then we'll be looking at the background to this passage. Then we'll be looking at how does God provide for the Israelites. And finally, what can we learn from this? So, first, let's have a look at Jehovah Jireh. Um, what does it actually mean, that term? It's a term that we know well. Uh, there's a song that Phil was singing earlier uh, about Jehovah Jireh. Um, the solo will be later, and he'll put it on a CD for you if you want that as well. Um, but the term Jehovah Jireh means God provides. Uh, it's not something that God has done just at a specific time. Uh, he'll provide yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is what we were just talking about in our, um, in our worship this morning. Um, we also find that we just need to come to God and ask him to provide um, some of you may have read a book by Andrew Wilson called Incomparable. I know Dental's been reading it recently. Um, and he says that providing is just part of God's nature. It's who he is. This is what he does. Um, being from South Wales, uh, I liken it to die the butcher and die um, the baker and so on. You know what they do by what they're called. And it's exactly the same with God. You know who he is by his name. He provides. Uh, this is who he is. Uh, we find that uh, the word provide has a sense of seeing in both the Hebrew and also in English. Uh, so this is, this is my little bit of, of language for you. Uh, what we've got is that pro means, yeah, I suppose it's Latin, I don't know. Anyway, uh, we find that pro means before and vide or vid, whichever you want to say, uh, means see. 
So what we get is a sense that, uh, that God looks out on all time and sees our need even before we get there. Which is pretty awesome, I find. So what that means is that this week you might come across a need. But the great thing is, is that God has already provided for that need. It's pretty astonishing, isn't it? So let's just have a look at the background about what we've been looking at here. Um, Just start by looking at, uh, we find that they set out from Elim. If you were here last week, unlike myself, who was in a Christmas wonderland, um, you would have heard Nigel preaching about how the Israelites didn't have any water to drink for three days. And then they finally came to a wonderful place that had water. However, it was bitter water. Um, So they grumbled against God. And then he took them to a place called Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And so they uh, took their place there and they encamped in that place. Elim had probably become quite a nice, cushy place by, by then. Uh, if it had been me, I wouldn't have wanted to move on. Um, you can probably see it now, can't you, in terms of the address that they probably had. Nice beige tent in the middle of the desert, um, Palm Springs view. It sounds like a, a great sort of address, really. And they probably wouldn't have wanted to move on from there. Uh, they had all the water that they wanted. However, this was not where they were meant to, to stay. This was not the promised land. God had called them to go to a promised land, not to stay in this place. Um, but sometimes we do that, don't we? We, uh, we get caught up in this place that God's given us a bit of refreshment in, thinking that this is where we're to dwell for the rest of our days. But actually, God's got a far better place for us to go to. Secondly, we find that they grumbled when they found themselves in another wilderness. So we see this in verse 2. Uh, we find that the whole congregation, or as Numbers puts it, the rabble, I think I prefer that one actually, um, they, they grumbled because they found themselves back in the wilderness. The Israelites had already gone through many trials, um, but at each step, God had provided for them. Any time they were in need, God provided, but they hadn't learned this lesson. They hadn't remembered that God had provided last time for them. Um, And again, this happens with us. Um, We find that our circumstances quickly overwhelm us and we forget how God's provided in the past for us. Again, that's something that we were picking up in our worship. God remains the same yesterday, today and forevermore. Our circumstances change, but God doesn't change. So um, the problem with taking our security in our circumstances is that our view of God will depend on the situation that we're living in. Uh, If I give you an example, most of you by now know that I'm a Cardiff City fan. Um, Cardiff City, sorry? Yeah, well, there's quite a few of us. We can't fill our stadium, but there's a few of us. Um, And this afternoon, uh, Cardiff City will be playing against Bristol. So it's a bit of a local rivalry going on. Um, If my security rests on Cardiff City, which at times Fleur thinks it does, um, (laughs) if Cardiff win this afternoon... I'm likely to be a pretty happy guy. Um, I'm likely to think that Cardiff will then end up winning the Premier, uh, sorry, win the Prem- uh, Premier League. It's stuck there, isn't it? Win the Championship uh, this season. Then we'll end up playing the Giants in the Premier League next season. Um, the likes... Oh, I moved that. So, well, they weren't really one of the Giants. The Giants I was thinking of were teams like Manchester United, um, Liverpool... Arsenal or, or even, yeah, Manchester City. What was the 
the score yesterday? No, no, not them. They, they come a little bit later in my story. Um, if, if Cardiff lose, um, then I might get concerned and think that uh, they'll end up plummeting out of the league this season and could soon be playing against uh, teams of obscurity such as Wrexham. Oh. <laughs> um, what, if, what we find is that that would also cause me to, to be a nightmare to be with this afternoon. Um, so when Fleur passes me the, the salt um, or says to me, you know, can you pass that over to me, I might snap at her. That's what Michael Chopra should have done this afternoon. He shouldn't have taken the keeper on. He should have just passed it. Um, so if, I, if I'm caught up with my situation and my circumstance, then my, uh, who I am suddenly changes depending on what's happening around me. Um, when everything's great in life, when our job is going well, when we get married, when we've got money in the bank, when we've got the nice car, when we've got the nice house, suddenly we're, we're happy and we're satisfied uh, and we think that God's great. But then, when we're made redundant, when the car starts to play up, when we discover damp in the house, we're miserable and suddenly we don't come to God. We don't think that he's worthy of praise any longer. Aren't we told that we're to be content in every situation? Um, see, what we find is that if these, all of these things become our focus, our life is rocked when anything changes. If we take our security in our circumstances, then our view of God will be dictated by the ups and downs of life. However, if we take our security in God, our view of our circumstances will be dictated by our ever-faithful God. I know it's one I want my, uh, want my eyes to be on, really. I know it's one's going to help me to be more stable. God never changes. He provides yesterday, today, and forever. George Muller, who some of you may have heard of, uh, said that if the Lord fails me this time, then it will be the first time. God never, ever fails people. The Israelites should have known from their past experience of God that he would provide for them. But they lost sight of him and they grumbled again. Let's not grumble in our circumstance. Thirdly, you've had a sneak peek of this because I pressed it accidentally earlier. We find that the Israelites looked back on their time in Egypt with fondness. Uh, we find in verse 3, I sounded like a southerner then, didn't I? In verse 3, uh, we find in verse 3 that uh, the Israelites looked back and uh, they said that it would have been better for them to have died in Egypt uh, where there was plenty of meat and bread. Uh, likewise, we find in Numbers 11 that they're reminiscing about the fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic that they got to eat. Again, that sounds like a bit of an odd meal really, doesn't it? <laughs> if anyone wants to make something with all of that, I'll, I'm happy to try it once. Um, yeah, it is a bit of ready steady cooking, isn't it? Um, but what they say is that all of that lovely food, it cost them nothing. That's a bit odd, really. Just two and a half months ago, they were stuck in Egypt and they were crying out to God to save them from uh, their suffering. They were slaves, they were captive, uh, they were being worked to the ground. Yes, they had food, but I can't imagine that it would have been uh, something that would have got a Michelin star, really. Um, but they, they looked back and they had a distorted perspective because uh, of the new situation that they were in. 
but again, we do that. We put on rose-tinted glasses. We think of what our old life was like and think of just the good points from it. We might think about when we were, um, before we came to being a Christian, and we think, actually, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed going out with the lads. I enjoyed um, getting drunk. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed that. But actually, we forget um, everything else that went along with that. We forget that there was no purpose in life. We forget how lonely life was. We forget that there was the endless search for something greater. Um, What we find is that God had saved the Israelites out of their slavery and captivity, He'd led them to freedom, and he called them to a promised land. Again, we've touched on that this morning. This is what God has done for us as well. He's led us out of our captivity, out of slavery to sin, into freedom and with a promise of eternal life with him. The Israelites had spent their life in captivity, and it was hard for them to adjust to their new freedom and the uncertainty of where their food was going to come from. Um, But what they needed to do is to remember the promises of God rather than harping back to the past. We find that in Genesis that Lot and his family made this mistake as well. Uh, They were called to come out of uh, Sodom uh, before it was destroyed and they were told not to look back. Uh, But we find that his wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Um, So it's not a good idea to look back really. We find that if we're looking back it's very easy to move forward. Uh, we find that we'll trip over ourselves if we're always looking back. We need to fix our eyes on what God's got for us in the future. So then how does God provide for the Israelites? And what can we learn? First thing that I'm going to look at is supernatural versus natural. So if you look in verse 4, we find that God tells Moses that he will rain bread from heaven. How many of you have seen bread raining from heaven? No one? Okay, we should be experts in this, really. We live in Wales, and in Wales it rains a little bit, or quite a lot, really. Um, It rains practically every day. So you think that if it was going to rain bread from heaven somewhere, then it would be quite likely to be here. Uh, We find that uh, my favourite comedian is a guy called Rod Gilbert. Uh, I don't know if any of you know him. Uh, He says that... Uh, when it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, that was the best summer on record for Wales. Um, so, you know, we, we know that, uh, we know what rain is like. We know that it doesn't rain bread. It's not a natural thing to happen. But God can do what he likes. He created all things. So he can make something supernatural take place. Some people would argue that the manna was formed from the dew that arose in the morning. Uh, which was mixed by insects. This seems a little bit implausible to me. Um, Isn't it a bit strange that these insects hadn't been providing special insect bread for uh, the Israelites up until now? And wasn't it strange that actually uh, they now were continuing to provide special insect bread? By the way, I'm going to trademark that. Um, You know, they provided it every single day for 40 years, wherever the Israelites were. It's a little bit odd for these little insects to follow them. Um, on top of that, uh, these little insects would have made the braids last for two days when they obeyed God and then turn into maggot-infested bread when they didn't obey God. Again, a little bit of a coincidence. In addition, we find that the Israelites named the bread manna, which means, uh, what is it? So they hadn't seen it before. Now, surely if they'd been in the desert for two and a half, 
uh, two and a half months, they might have seen a little bit of it before if it's a natural thing to take place. Um, some people will always try and argue against the existence of God, and particularly against the living God who's involved in people's lives. However, our God is a supernatural God, and he does extraordinary things. What we see here as well is that although the bread is provided in a supernatural way, it's still bread. It's not a magic, floaty, flashing sort of thing. It's not like a magic um, pill that suddenly gives you sustenance. It's bread. You know, God provides natural things for us. Um, it might be like the story that you've heard. This one's for you, Chris. Um, okay, so um, some of you might have heard of this guy who was sinking in his boat. Um, and he cried out to God to rescue him. Shortly afterwards, um, as the water began to rise in the boat, and it was at his knees, a fellow sailor went past um, and offered for him to jump on board his ship. However, the man replied, No, thank you. The Lord will rescue me. Therefore, the sailor carried on past the man. Shortly afterwards, with the water now at his waist, a helicopter went over top. He threw down a ladder to the man. However... He shouted back at him, No, thank you, the Lord will rescue me. Therefore, the helicopter carried on. Uh, shortly afterwards, the water was now at his shoulders, and the Coast Guard came along and offered him assistance. However, I think you're getting the, the gist of the story. He shouted out, No, thank you, the Lord will rescue me. Shortly afterwards, the man drowned. However, he then got to heaven, he got to the pearly gates, and was greeted by God, because he'd sent Peter on holiday. Um, and he said to God, why didn't you rescue me? I called out, why didn't you rescue me? God replied to him, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter, I sent you the Coast Guard, what more do you want? And sometimes we spend our, our time waiting for this miraculous thing to, to occur, and get so caught up in that without looking at the, the things that God's provided around us. Sometimes it might not be this amazing thing that you're expecting. God just provides in a very simple way. Secondly, we find that they had a daily portion. Um, it was to fill, fulfill what they needed for that day alone. We find that it, it fulfilled their needs. So again, we find this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Um, it's a daily thing, and it's about needs. We can ask God for our daily bread. Um, when I was thinking about what our daily bread is, I, I thought, personally, for me, it would be an Aston Martin DB9, and also it might be a, a cinema screen in my front room. Um, but I don't think that's what God's talking about. I think it's actually the things that we need to survive. So things like food, clothes, somewhere to live, but also what we need spiritually to survive as well. If we look at what we physically need first, um, we find a pretty good clue of what are the two things we really need in Luke 12, verse 22. Jesus tells us not to be anxious about what we eat or whether we will have clothes. I would suggest that if uh, Jesus is telling us not to be anxious about these things, they're probably the two major things that we're anxious about. Um, Anxiety can cripple us, and these are the things that tend to consume us. <coughs> Jesus goes on to say that his father feeds the ravens and will feed us because we're more valuable than them. Likewise, Jesus also says that his father makes the stunning <coughs> lilies 
and the grass, which is much more magnificent than an Armani creation or anything like that. God provides for all of those, so he'll provide for us as well. We find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, that God planted a garden and he put Adam there. God had made Adam a place to live. Secondly, God had provided Adam with food. He didn't create Adam and then think, oh no, I knew I forgot to do something. I didn't get the batteries. I forgot to provide some sort of food for him. Oh well, he'll just have to die. No, God was forward thinking. Uh, He provided food for him. Finally, Genesis 1, verse 29 to 30. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So God's providing for our needs. Likewise, in chapter 2, verse 9, God makes trees spring up out of the ground for food for Adam. More importantly, to those steak lovers out there, we find um, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, that everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So we get meat as well, which is pretty good. I'm not going to get into the debate about vegetarianism, by the way. Um, But we see that God created us and provided food in creation as well. Likewise, we find in Genesis 3.21 that God made garments for Adam and Eve and clothed them following the fall. So even in that moment where man turned away from God, he tenderly made them clothes and provided for them. What about our spiritual needs as well? We provide for these. Uh, We find that Jesus says in John chapter 6 that he's the bread of life. His body paved the way for us to have eternal life. He says we'll never grow thirsty or hungry if we feed of him. See again in Matthew that Jesus tells us to ask, seek and knock and he will answer. Um, If we're hungry and thirsty this morning then we just need to come and God will meet with us. Thirdly, we find that it's a time of testing. So God sent manna from heaven to test his people. He told Moses this in verse 4. He says to Moses that he will test whether the Israelites would walk in the law or not. Um, He gave them only enough manna um, for the family for one day every day. He asked them just to take that small amount. However, we find that they disobeyed this and some of them ended up keeping enough for two days. Consequence of that was that the bread went off. Um, And likewise, we find that uh, he told them to get two days' worth on the day before the Sabbath. When they did this, it was okay. But when they didn't, uh, they went out and they found that there was no bread on the Sunday. Well, it wouldn't have been. It would have been Saturday, wouldn't it? Um, Likewise, we see in verse 4 that God provided the bread but still asked the Israelites for a response. So God is wanting uh, to find out what our response will be in these situations. They still had to go and gather it themselves. And again, with us, we have to go and we have to do an action as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I get curious and I wonder uh, what happens. I I wonder um, why people have told me to do things. But God has got a great plan for us. Actually, we can trust in him. He's got good plans for us. The Israelites were God's chosen people set apart for his purposes. He wanted them to be a people who were obedient to his calling. Time and time again, he tested them to see if they would trust in him. Many times they failed to trust in him. I don't want to be like that. I don't want 
God to have to put me in the same situation again and again and again until I come through it. I want to get it right this time. God's got good plans for us and we need to walk in them. Finally, um, we see in verse 32 that God commands Moses to put some of the manna in a jar for all generations to remember what God has done and the way that he has provided for them. We as people are dense and forgetful. Um, if, you, if you ask me what I did earlier this week, I wouldn't have a clue really. Um, perhaps I'm getting early out, Alzheimer's, I don't know. <laughs> Fleur's nodding there, that's great, isn't it? When your wife starts nodding that you're forgetful. Um, but we do, we forget what God has done in our lives. And the Israelites did it, and we do it. We forget what God has done. And that's why God told Moses to put some of the manna in a jar for future generations to remember God's provision. As we look back through the Bible, we see many times that God provides for his people. Just to name a few of them, um, we went through a series looking at, at Ruth, and we find right at the start of that that what spurs Naomi and Ruth to go to Israel is that God has provided food for that nation. We find in 1 Kings that God causes ravens to bring Elijah um, bread and meat twice daily. Then, of course, we find in the New Testament that God um, feeds the 5,000. God is a God who provides. Um, again, we see this throughout all history. Uh, there's many great champions of the faith um, whose stories are incredible. As you look through them, you see God providing for his people. And again, it's not something that just took place in the past. It's something that takes place today. We've got many testimonies in this room of how God has provided for us. And that's what I want to do now. Um, you can see that I've got this, um, this jar of manna here. It was the jar of coffee. Um, but in a few moments, I've got some stories in here that I want to share with you. But before this, I want to just tell you about a guy called George Muller, who uh, some of you may have known. I'm just going to read out an excerpt about him. The ever-increasing number of homeless children caused George Muller to realise immediate action was required. And in 1835, he called a public meeting with a view to opening an orphan home. This was a complete step of faith. And four days before the meeting, God confirmed that step through the scripture, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. He subsequently asked the Lord to provide £1,000 and suitable staff. In January 1836, they occupied six Wilson Streets in the St. Paul's district of Bristol and took in 30 girls. Within a year, two other homes, one for infants and one for boys, had been established, with 130 children under their care. Muller realised that bigger homes with better sanitary facilities were needed. This man of prayer and faith saw God provide the £10,000 needed for the first home on the seven acres that it purchased on Ashley Down. It opened in 1849 with 300 children. In 1870, there was a total of five houses at Ashley Down, costing over £100,000 and housing more than 2,000 children. All of the money and workers came as a direct result of prayer. No debts were incurred and no appeals or requests were made. When in 1858, Spurgeon was contemplating the plans for the new tabernacle in South London, costing over £16,000, he was able to encourage his, gen his congregation to consider what God had done for George Muller. Following a large gift of £20,000, 
Spurgeon built the Stockwell Orphanage in 1867. At this time, he says, I hope the day may soon come when the noble example which has been set by our esteemed brother, Mr. Muller of Bristol, will be more constantly followed in all the Lord's work. By the time of his death, Muller had given 122,683 children a Christian education and seen 1,813 of these come to faith. He had received over £1.4 million for the work. And this is back um, a long time ago. And it's anonymously given all personal gifts to the cause. During just the last year of Mr. Muller's life, I recorded these gifts to feed and care for thousands of England's orphans. 7,203 loaves of bread. 5,222 buns. 20 boxes of soap, 9 tons of coal, 26 haunches of venison, 112 rabbits, 312 pheasants, 5 bags of oatmeal, 26 cases of oranges, 5 boxes of dates, 4,013 pounds of, of meat, and hundreds of other essentials. And that was just the last year of his life. George Muller was an inspiring man of faith. He saw God's provision firsthand. There were many times that he would sit down with the children to say grace with nothing on the table. And then God would provide. This is one of the reasons that the bread was known as toke in the orphanages. As Muller always thanked God for the tokens of his love. The reason that I've got this here is just to tell you some other stories of what God's done. First one I've got here is uh, from my parents of how God's provided. Here is requested a details of trusting God to provide. This is my mum writing. 1967, trusting God to provide for my fees and living costs at Birmingham University for my course on teaching blind children. I'd never met anyone who lived by faith, but I had read about George Muller and how God had provided for the needs of the orphans in the Muller homes in Bristol. And I also claimed Hebrews 13 verse 8, that if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he could provide for me in 1967 to 68, and he did so. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that when I did this. <laughs> um, we also find that uh, my mum's written here that she claims that scripture, Hebrews 13 verse 8, that if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, then he could provide for her in 1967 to 68. And he did. Whilst she was still in Birmingham at the university, it became necessary for her to have a car which she couldn't afford. Her father contacted her and asked her if she would like to have her mother's old car as he was going to get her a new one. At that time, he didn't know what she needed and didn't know that she was living by faith. When my mum went to collect it, uh, she was also given £20, which was a lot of money back then. Um, and she found that the car needed road tax, which cost £17.50. My mum also gave a tithe, which was £2. So that left her with 50p. The next day, 
she went into university and found she needed a parking permit, 50p. When my mum went to Bible college for two years, she trusted that God would provide for her fees once again, and he provided. This one I'm going to read um, straight as it is there. Uh, you can laugh at me afterwards if you like. Uh, when Dad and I got married, we didn't have much money because I was being a full-time mum. But God always provided for our, all of our needs. We needed a gate um, so that you would, would be able to play safely in the backyard. We've still got the gate in the backyard so I can play safely now. Um, we saw one in the Abergavenny Chronicle for £5, which fitted just right, and the post was another pound, and they fitted in the gap perfectly. Um, my dad also writes that when his first wife uh, was terminally ill, an envelope came through the door with a present from the Lord written on it, and in it was £20. At that time, they didn't have any bills or any needs that they knew of. However, a few days later, they had to replace the gearbox, which came to £20. Hopefully, I've got this in the right order. Next one is Fleur and myself. We got engaged whilst I was still a student, and Fleur and I looked at engagement rings. Um, I didn't have a clue how I was going to afford to pay for an engagement ring being a student. Um, however, uh, the next day we announced to the church that uh, we were engaged and that we were going to get married. After the meeting, someone came up to us uh, with an envelope with uh, a fair bit of money in it, um, which paid for the ring that Fleur's wearing on her finger now. Um, we'd seen that ring and it covered it exactly. Um, at the start of last year, we received a letter to say um, that our landlord wanted to take possession of our property um, because uh, there was a, a situation going on and he needed to live in the property. Um, therefore, we had to move out. We prayed, and within a week, we received a letter from our um, letting agent to tell us that there was a far nicer property that he'd found us, which we're living in now. Um, God has also provided for our wants on occasions, and I'd like to mick on this one. Fleur and I sat down um, eating a meal one night, and we'd just finished our main course, and we thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a pudding now, but we had nothing in. And we got a knock at the door, and it's Mick with a dessert. <laughs> that leads me into Mick. Mick gave me several examples of how God has provided for him. Mick has been made redundant on several occasions. Each time he's prayed, and he's got the church to pray with him. Each time, God has provided him a job. At one of the times that Mick was redundant, it was approaching Christmas, and they didn't have much food. However, outside on their doorstep um, arrived a food hamper full of food. Again, when Mick was out of work, he gave in to an offering, and then he received an electric bill shortly afterwards and didn't know how he was going to pay for it. However, he received a card with money inside, which covered the bill exactly. And finally, this one's from Bill and Jenny. When we were preparing to go to Bible College in Berwick-upon-Tweed, we knew, that sounds like a lovely place. We knew we would need warm winter coats for Bill and myself and our two children. 
We were given two coats for the children, and Bill already had a warm coat. But I didn't have one, and we needed to have the money to buy one. Just before we left our training course with the mission, we had joined to go to Bible college. Someone sent us a letter with a gift in it, saying that it's for a winter coat. How did they know that I needed one? I had the best winter coat I ever had. Thank you, Lord. When we were serving the Lord with Wycliffe Bible translators, our support wasn't always very good, but the Lord provided for us in many different ways. One unexpected way was through the hymn, How Great Thou Art, translated from Russian by Stuart K. Hine in 1953. We got to know a female translator called Sonia Hine, who was Stuart Hine's daughter, and through that relationship, the Lord provided for us through the royalties of the hymn. We truly can say with the hymn, Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, How great thou art, how great thou art. Finally, when we left the mission we were serving with to join a church as associate pastor, uh, we needed a house to live in, but we didn't have any money for a deposit. We had seen a house we liked, but thought it was impossible for us to buy it. The church we were joining was a small Baptist one of 90 people. Amazingly, they had a gift day and gave us £13,000 for a deposit. We had a fabulous house that was just right for us. Praise the Lord. Let's not forget what God's done. Um, the reason that I wanted to do that and spend a bit of time on that was that I think that you know, it's good for us to, to know the theology. It's good for us to understand the theology of God giving. But I think it speaks to our, our soul when we know what God has done. We need to remind ourselves again that God is a God who provides. Um, the reason that I, I asked Nigel if we could just uh, come and that I could preach a little bit early was that I want us to respond to this in a few moments. Um, if there's some of you who, who might be struggling in your circumstances that you find yourselves in, I'd like you to come out and to respond and say, yeah, I will trust in you, God. And we'll get some people to pray with you as well. Just to summarise, we find that um, the world's economy changes. We find that our circumstance changes, but our God never changes. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. Whatever your situation, God can and will provide for your needs. As George Muller said, tell God your needs and then tell people how God provides.